Good morning, Servants Church. Great to be with you. So, so awesome to worship together. We're going to be in 1 Timothy still. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 5, continuing our verse-by-verse study in that book, in Paul's first letter to Timothy, talking about the priorities of the local church. So if you want to turn there, 1 Timothy chapter 5, in your Bible, on your device, I will read those 16 verses that we're going to look at this morning, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into it. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first show godliness, learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if, if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to good works. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, those who go from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have the younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them, let not the church be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. And fathers, we talk through this very practical section of your word, Lord, as we talk about what it means to take care of our family, specifically those who can't take care of themselves. I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom about what this means for us today. I pray you would help us to understand about how this applies for all of us, not just those in the stage of life where we're looking after aging parents. Help us to see, Lord, that, that you call us to be those who honor family because you've invented it and because you've adopted us into your family. Please, Lord, meet us here this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think it's fair to say in human experience, there's nothing more joyful or painful or important as family relationships. Having had some experience with people uh, in their last moments of life, often what they're thinking of is family. In fact, most people at the end of their life begin to measure the success or failure of their life based on the strength of their family relationships. Family is something that we all know that we need, but many of us have had some bad experiences. Now, it's interesting because we live in a day and age where academics are debating what, what is, should be family? Well, how should family be defined? There's pushback against what might be called the traditional family. Is it even that traditional after all? 
What's not open for debate is the, the scriptural story, the scriptural narrative, that when God creates humanity, the first institution He creates is family. Family is important to God. Family is, is something that reflects the nature of God. And so He calls us as His people to be a family of families. And that has an application for us as an individually gathered local church, but also has applications for us how we, in how we live our lives as those individual families. Now, in the section we're going to look at today, Paul's dealing with this issue of widows, specifically that, that they had this, this important practical social need to make sure that those that were widows were financially provided for. And what's interesting is Paul doesn't here just kind of clamor for a stronger social safety net. He really emphasizes that what the, the, the need for us to have is, is to have better family relationships. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about what does it mean to, to prioritize honoring family? What does it mean for us to be a family uh, of believers? And so there's three things we're going to hopefully recognize if we're going to grow as a family. The first thing we see in the first two verses is this, that we are, church relationships are really family relationships. Look at verse 1 again. Paul says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him. And so right off the bat, we see that, that what should mark our relationships is, is more encouragement than rebuke. Now, Paul's not saying there's not a place to rebuke somebody. Paul does plenty of rebuking himself. Our Lord Jesus even rebuked when it was necessary. But what he's saying is what should mark us is not that we're always telling each other off, but we're looking to encourage each other, to bring courage to another. That's what the word means. And it's interesting because in this context, Paul, he kind of divides, he makes distinctions with how that should happen with different ages and different genders. Now, now he talks about to, to, with fathers, we should, uh, we should honor them, we should encourage them as fathers. Now, I want to say from the get-go that these different sort of uh, demographics, you might say. There's some overlap, obviously, in the application. And, and, and in a real sense, almost all these things can be done to almost all these categories. But I think what, we're, what we want to see is how we're meant to encourage each other, specifically with different people in different stages of life. Fathers. How do we encourage fathers? Well, we encourage them by respecting the fact that they have life experience. The older men who are fathers, they know a lot. In fact, I would go as far as to say is even those who haven't been walking with God very long, maybe someone came to know Jesus when they were in their 60s or 70s, they still lived a long life. And now that they know Jesus, they can look back and say, let me tell you the things you shouldn't do. And let me tell you how you can continue to grow with God. We need to respect those that are older than us, specifically the fathers, because of their life experience, because of the burdens they've had to carry, because of the lessons they've learned along the way. How about brothers? How do we encourage younger men as brothers? Well, this would, to me, speak of the, the need for us to be dependent upon one another in a peer sense for, for support. This is what I need brothers for. Interesting, too, one of the things I'm, I'm recognizing is that I, I can be a spiritual father to somebody and still enjoy the relationship that I need from them as a brother. How do we encourage mothers? Well, we should honor them for their sacrificial service. I think in this, this immediate context that's coming out, that what, what, what was to, uh, to characterize a godly woman, a godly mother, was her sacrificial service, how she served others. We should honor that 
It's amazing how many people in Servants Church never get really talked about from the pulpit because they wouldn't want to be talked about from the pulpit, but they do so much work that nobody knows about. And the majority of those people, I have to say, are moms or, or, or just women who are mature. What about sisters? Here, Paul's writing to Timothy, very practical. Timothy, a young man, probably a single man. Timothy, love your sisters. You know, look after them. But guard them because they're in a vulnerable position. You're, you're Timothy leading the church as a single man. These single sisters are around. Guard that. Be protective of that. Don't give the wrong signals probably is what he's getting at. Now, the reason this is important is because, as we're saying, church relationships are indeed family relationships. In fact, this kind of analogy of family, this kind of picture of family, doesn't just begin the scriptures. It's all throughout the scriptures. God's people are identified as a family. Let me just give you one small example. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, but notice, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see, over and over in the New Testament where we are called to be a family, and it's a specific family that is distinct from the rest of the world. Now, here's the clear application here. We're not called to exclude those that are outside the faith. We're called to love everybody. Galatians 6 is clear. But we are called to prioritize those who are within the faith. That's what God calls us to. And so even in this context where Paul's given very specific things about how we should take care of uh, the older widows in our, in our fellowships, he's really being clear too, that we're, or the, the scripture is really clear here too, that we need to prioritize those that are in the faith. There should be something special about how we are committed one to another as Jesus followers. So that's the first thing we need to understand. If we're going to honor family, we need to recognize that the church itself is a family, that our relationships are family relationships. The second thing that we need to recognize is that, that family relationships have responsibilities, right? If you're in a family, you have responsibilities. Even young children are taught to have responsibilities. And so what we're going to see here is now Paul's going to give us some very specific criteria for what widows should receive financial support and what widows should not. But what we're going to see in this is not just those specifics that were about that day and about that early church setting, but also some application for us, for believers, for all believers at all stages of life. So here's the first responsibility. We as the church are responsible to meet legitimate needs. Look at verse 3. Paul says, honor widows who are truly widows. Now we'll talk about who's truly a widow in a second, but the point here is honor them. In this context, to honor means to provide for financially. There's no doubt about that. He's saying, look, there's a legitimate need. You have a responsibility to try to meet that need. Now, I want you to notice, too, this is written to a local church. And so the priority of meeting legitimate needs starts in the local church. In the same way, in our individual families, uh, you know, those of us that parents, you work, you work to provide for your family first. You, you don't kind of take all your money and give it to somebody else as a need because that would be irresponsible. You got to provide for your family first. In a local church context, it's the same way. We look for legitimate needs in our fellowships and we meet those needs first. Now, we do this because it represents the very character of God himself. Listen, God says of himself, or the psalmist says of God, he's a father of the fatherless and a protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God has a heart for those who are needy. He's drawn to people who are needy. 
In fact, James tells us that this is what our religion or our practice of worship should look like. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so this is our responsibility is to meet legitimate needs. God calls all of his followers, Jesus calls all of his followers to be involved in this. But the second responsibility is this, is we are responsible to put our trust in God and not pursue self-indulgence. Look at verse 5. So we get into verse 5 and Paul begins to explain what a true widow is. He says, she is a truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even as she lives. And he says, listen, command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. Now, this is a fairly high standard, but this is what God calls all people to. And, and Paul, given this criteria for who legitimately should be receiving financial aid from the church, he's basically wanting to identify what does it look like to be a Christian? What does it look like to be a Christian? And in this context, of course, he's talking about widows. He's talking about women who don't have husbands. But the point is this. Listen, uh, the, the point is he's talking about what, what's the characteristic of those people. As Jesus followers, we have a responsibility to trust in God. This is, God's, this is the response God calls us to. God says, here's what I'm going to do for you. I've become a man. I've died on the cross for your sins. I've rose from the dead. I've promised you eternal life. Here's your responsibility. Respond to me. Trust me. Now, he's, he's, notice how he's, he's juxtaposing this to just living a life for yourself, living a life of self-indulgence. In other words, Paul says, just because someone is part of the church and says, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian, if they live completely for themselves, that ought to be, considered, uh, be brought into consideration before the church takes on the burden to take care of them. Now, this sounds really countercultural, doesn't it? In fact, most of us have been in churches where we think, no, we'll just help anybody who needs help because we don't want to look bad. We, 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 want to be, we want to show mercy. And that's not all bad, but Paul's saying, listen, it's important that we recognize that God's people are called to a standard. And if we are supporting them because they're God's people, which should be the priority, then there should be some evidence that there's a responsibility that they have as well. Look at verses 9 and 10. He says, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she's brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints. This is what you would do if you went into a house in the first century. Uh, your, your feet were dirty. They were, they were stinky. They were uncomfortable. And so the first thing you would do is they would, you would take the lowest servant of the house and you would wash that uh, that person's feet to show them we want you to feel at home here. He says, if she has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work. Now, we could talk about the idea of women staying at home and raising children, but that's kind of beside the point for our purposes today. The, the point for our purposes today is to recognize that the responsibility that, that widows were to have if they were going uh, to be taken care of financially was they had to be those who displayed good works. Now, we'll talk about the fact that they should be 60 years old or older in a minute. But just for now, just think about this. They're called to display good works. They should be recognized by their good works. Now, some of you at this point might be pushing back. Some of you who have grown up in the church, if, or especially if you've grown up in evangelical churches, you're going, wait a second. I know we're not saved by works. Yep, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But we do need to recognize this is normal Christianity. Normal Christianity is Christians doing good works. Listen. 
The Bible says this, Paul says this in Titus 2.14, Jesus Christ gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. He says again in Titus, listen, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These are good and profitable to men. Do you see how this happens? You see this pattern throughout Scripture where God will in one, at once and one hand say, you know, this is all that I've done for you. And the other hand is, here's how you respond to me. And the response is good works. That's our responsibility to display good works. Now, lastly in this section, the family responsibilities we have. Look at verses 11 to 15. Now we're going to get here where Paul's dealing with some very specific situations in, a, in Ephesus. So please kind of follow along with me as we go through this. Verse 11 to 15. Paul says, but, to refuse, but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when, they, when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. Now, it's important that we recognize that Paul's here not talking about, he's not, he's not talking about uh, that it's somehow wrong to want to be married. He's not saying that it's wrong for them to not to want to be married. He's talking about they have a desire to cast off Christ so that they can get married. Probably the idea here is that there were these widows, younger widows specifically in Ephesus. They were young enough, they still had a strong sexual desire, normal, healthy, good, okay? But in that, they were like, I just need to get married, so I'll find any guy who will marry me. And they were even willing to marry an unbeliever. They were willing to cast off their faith in Jesus and marry an unbeliever. And Paul's saying that's a dangerous place to be in. In fact, it's interesting when we read to Timothy, Paul's second letter to Timothy, we get more insight on this because Paul says of this sort, talking about false teachers, are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins and led away by various lusts. In other words, the, the, these younger widows who, who were, were thinking, man, I just... Uh, I miss having intimacy with, with uh, a husband. I need to find someone. Because they're consumed with that desire, what happens? They're susceptible to false teachers. Now, you could obviously apply this to men, especially young men and women. You could apply this to so many different people. In this context, though, Paul's wanting to say, listen, this is, a, this is a danger in saying we're going to be financially responsible for the younger widows. And then they, they fall into places where they, well, they don't have much to do. In fact, look at verse 13. In verse 13, he says, besides that, they learn to be idlers going from house to house, not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. You've heard the phrase, the devil makes work for idle hands. Well, we're going to talk more about that in, in a general sense, not just about widows, but about all of God's people when we get to chapter 6. The point here, though, is that Paul is not devaluing someone being single. We know he's not because 1 Corinthians chapter 7 makes it really clear that Paul says, if you can be single, be single. You can be more fruitful for God's kingdom. There's nothing wrong with being single. It's a good thing. What he's devaluing here, what he's speaking against is idleness, being so distracted from, from what God would have us do that we just kind of do whatever we want to do. And then, well, as we said, the devil makes work for idle hands. In other words, here's the, here's the point. The point is that part of our family responsibility is to avoid temptation, to not put ourselves in a place where we're going to be tempted, which means we don't just sit around wishing good things would happen to us. We get up and we get busy and we say, God, what would you have me do? You saved me. I'm accepted by you. I'm loved by you. How would you have me respond? 
what part of my family would you have me serve? See, this is what we have to understand. Listen, our family responsibilities are the good works that God has saved us for. Listen to this. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, this is probably what you were thinking about earlier, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His, that's God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Are you seeing what I'm saying here? That these family responsibilities that God gives to us, they're not something that we do to earn God's love or to earn a position in the family. It's something to do because we're in the family. One of the things that we have in our house, if you come to visit, you'll see on the kitchen door, there's a chore chart. My children's favorite thing. <laughs> a chore chart. And it says, who's doing what on what days? Now, especially since all my children are actually now adults, it's important that all of us recognize, listen, we are part of this family, and because we're part of this family, we have certain responsibilities here. And, and, and I don't think any of my kids think if they miss doing the dishes one night, they know dad will be mad, but they don't think that, that's it, you're out. You're dead to me, tear my clothes. That's not going to happen. Because they're my children, I love them too much, let that happen. You're still doing dishes today, don't try to get away from me. But the point is this, it's, it's obvious, right? That this responsibility you just said is a response to what God's done for us. God's graced us by putting it into His family, and the response is to recognize what our responsibilities are. Meet legitimate needs, trust in God, display good works, avoid temptation. Now let me give you some challenge, you some practical application here, okay? Which church teams, ushers team, music team, kids ministry team, which doesn't do much right now, I know. Which team are you committed to? Or if you're not committed to a team, which projects are you committed to? And the reason I'm bringing this up is not to guilt you at all. This is not about guilting you, but it's about asking ourselves, are we actually committed to family responsibilities? It's one thing for us to recognize, yes, we should meet legitimate needs, but then if we just say, well, there isn't any legitimate needs, well, then that kind of is a bad excuse to get us off the hook, isn't it? Let me ask you another question. Whose burdens in the church family are you seeking to bear? Do you even know what burdens people are bearing? Again, this is not about guilting you. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to say, God has bore all your, all your burdens in Christ. He's taken them on the cross for you. He has, he has taken the responsibility to get you from the point that you believe to the point that you're going to see Him face to face. He's, he's done that. And He calls us to respond to Him in this. What does your commitment say about your love for your family in Christ? Listen, again, I'm not trying to heap guilt on this, especially those of us who struggle socially. Uh, you may or may not know this, but I'm a major introvert. So when we have church on Sunday morning or when we had church on Sunday morning, when we have it again, I love that time. But as soon as I'm done, I am wiped out, exhausted. Because being with people drains all my energy. That's what an introvert is. And so if you're like me, you feel the same way. You might go, oh, I, don't, I do want to be with God's people. I, I do want to hang out with, with, with them. I do want to worship with them and, and learn with them. But it's exhausting. It is. I get that. Some of you even have bigger issues like social anxiety issues. And it's really hard to be around God's people. I get it. I'm, I'm not trying to condemn you in that. But I want to challenge you. Because of the gospel of grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
Will you seek to say, God, I want to know people's burdens and I want to bear the ones that you call me to bear. Now, this is really important for us to think about as a family because listen, listen, there's no way that any one of us can bear everyone else's burdens. There's no way. The reason we need to bear one another's burdens, the reason we need to recognize that we are in a family and we all have responsibilities is because there is so much burden to carry. Uh, pe- people used to say to me, oh, can I talk to you about something? Sorry, I don't want to be a burden. And I used to always answer, it's no burden. That was a lie. <laughs> it is a burden. What I'm learning to answer now is, hey, it's a burden, but it's an appropriate burden. I'm meant to help you carry this, just like you're meant to help carry my burdens. We're a family. This is what God calls us to. Now, we, we, we get to the last bit, and this is where we're going to talk specifically about uh, what, what Paul's talking about. We're going to get more into this issue of taking care of widows or taking care of aging parents. And I think this is important because this is, a, this is a bigger issue than we want to maybe realize. It's something that's really on my heart. As many of you know, I have aging parents. My father's passed away. My stepfather just passed away. My mom is uh, in, in, a, in a very good care home in, in, in the States. And it's a difficult. I'm wondering, what is my responsibility? You know, what, how am I supposed to honor my mom? These are, these are tough things to deal with. And, and what's great news is that God's given us some clear Uh, some clear guidelines. Because the third thing we need to understand if we're going to honor families is that as believers, we're called to be providers. Look at verse 16, last verse in this section. Paul says, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her take care of them. In other words, if if there's any woman who's this homemaker, she's at home and and, uh, her, her mom needs to be taken care of, let her take care of her mom. Let, let her, as a homemaker, take care of them. Let her take, take care of, uh, of, of mom instead of putting that burden on the church. In fact, he says specifically, let the church not be burdened. And for this reason, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Now, we are blessed to live in a country here in Great Britain where, where uh, the, the, the laws are set up so that people, there's such a great safety net, so that people are taken care of. From, from basically birth to death, people are taken care of. There's a safety net. So that it's, it's, people do slip through that net, but it's very difficult to do so. But remember, when Paul wrote this, there was no such thing as this kind of safety net. And a woman couldn't just kind of go get a job. I mean, there, there, it wasn't that a woman wasn't allowed to work or a widow wouldn't be allowed to work, but there are very few things that she could actually do and earn a living from. And so she was completely dependent upon someone else taking care of her. And so Paul's point here is, listen, we need to recognize the the limitations of the local church to take care of every widow that goes out there. So you as individual believers, make sure you take care of your individual family members. This is a really important principle. I think, to be honest, this really applies to even government. Even a place like Great Britain that's a, well, at least for now, is a fairly wealthy country and does such a good job at taking care of the needy. There's only so much they can do. To look, at, um, to look at the state to take care of everything is not wise. And as Jesus followers, it's not right. We should take a certain responsibility for our aging parents specifically. Now, for some of us, that'll mean having our parents live with us. For those of us, it'll make sure that our parents are in a safe, healthy home. Depends on the situation. But the point is, we need to recognize the, limits of the, the limitations of the local church and the limitations of government to help. We're, we are called to be providers. Now, notice in verse 4, 
what Paul says about this issue. Paul says, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first show, notice, godliness in their own household and make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in God's sight. So the context here is obviously this idea of taking care of widows. And what Paul's saying is, listen, if you are a younger person, if you uh, have a grandma or a mom who needs to be taken care of, you should be thinking, okay, this is where godliness starts. This is where I bring that right worship to God. Or as we saw last week, that devotion to the person of God, I demonstrate that first and foremost by taking care of mom or taking care of grandma. It's an important thing. And, and the reason I'm bringing this up too, the reason I think it's really important for us to see this is, is again, not to make anybody feel guilty because mom or grandma doesn't live with you. And it's definitely not to, to, to uh, add any kind of condemnation or, or pain to your circumstance. But it is to get us to think about how does our commitment to Jesus play itself out in our homes? How does it play itself out in our individual families? God, demonstrating godliness at home is part of our provision or part of how we are providers. We provide by saying we want to show God's love to our families. I, I have to say I'm challenged by this. I don't think anybody would accuse me of not providing uh, for my family as far as working hard enough to provide them uh, food and, and shelter. But sometimes I realize I, I don't actually think about, Lord, how am I meant to minister to my family more specifically? I'll pray about for wisdom, uh, about specifics, about how uh, I can help servant church move forward. But sometimes if I'm honest, I'm not praying about God. How can I make sure that my wife and children are being ministered to? That's something I have to repent of. God calls us to be providers financially, yes, in this context, but also spiritually. That's what God calls us to do. Remember when we were talking a few chapters back about the qualifications for leaders in the church, specifically for elders and deacons? And we, we talked about how they both need to be those who, are, who run their, manage their households well. Part of that, a big part of that, guys, is being providers, both financially but also spiritually, that we're leading in that direction. God says this is what the, where the gospel is demonstrated in our families. Let's not downplay or devalue the importance of us showing the gospel, demonstrating the gospel in our families. Let's not downplay that. Let's show there's a value in that. This is not about culture wars or trying to bring back the traditional family or something like that. This is about us wanting to demonstrate the gospel of grace through how we provide for our families. In fact, this is the last thing you're going to see in verse 8. We're going to close with this verse. That we're called to be providers by, listen, protecting the reputation of the gospel. In verse 8, Paul gives us this, this statement that is so sobering, so shocking, we're, we're just tempted to think it can't mean what it says. Paul says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That is heavy, isn't it? I, think, I want you to think about this. Let this sink in. If, if you are watching this this morning and you're a Jesus follower, if you are part of Servant Church and you say, I want to know Jesus, think about the severity of what he's saying. He's saying, if we won't be providers, we've denied the faith. Why? Why is he so heavy about this? Why does the scripture set the standard so high? Two reasons. Listen, first one is this. The gospel itself, the good news about who God is, is about God's provision. 
We're called to be providers because the gospel is about God's provision. Listen, what does the Bible say? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He, what? Gave or provided His only Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. The gospel is about God's provision for us so that we could be in His family. So we could be forgiven. So we could be made right. So we could have hope of eternal life. That was given to us through Christ. That was His God's, Christ is God's provision for us. And therefore we're called to provide. But the gospel is also about, listen, it's also about identifiable relationship. That it's not just about us saying something about who Jesus is and saying, oh, sure, I believe that. It's about having a relationship with him that's identified. Jesus talked about this in Mark chapter 3, verse 35. He says, whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. If you remember from this context, the context is that Jesus' brother and uh, brothers, uh, siblings and mother were coming after him, probably concerned that he was a little bit off his rocker. And they come trying to get to him, and they can't get to him because of all the crowds. And so someone says, teacher, your family is here for you. And then Jesus gives this answer. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. So the identifying relationship that we have is we say, God, you've saved us. We want to do what you want. We want to follow Jesus. And when he prayed, not my will, but your will be done, Father, we want to say the same thing with our lives. God, we want to fall after your will. And in this context, His will is for us as believers to be providers. You see, it's worse. The reason Jesus, or I'm sorry, Paul says it's worse, uh, that we're worse than an unbeliever, and we've denied the faith if we're not providing, is this. Because listen, an unbeliever rejects the gospel. But a believer, a carnal or disobedient believer who doesn't want to provide, distorts the gospel. It's one thing for someone to go, yeah, okay, I get it. Christianity is about Jesus. He, he supposedly died for us on the cross. He's supposed to be alive. You believe in Him. That's great for you. I don't believe it. It's one thing for someone to do that. It's a dangerous thing. If that's you watching this, please, I'd ask you to reconsider, reconsider what you're rejecting. But Paul says it's a worse thing, in a sense, for us to say, Oh, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I believe He died for me. Yes, I believe He rose from the dead. I believe I have eternal life. Yes, but I'm not going to provide for my family. I'm not going to be committed to God's people. I'm not going to make sure that my parents and children are taken care of. No, I'm not going to do that. Because that distorts the gospel. Because we say there's this great God who provides, but we refuse to try to be like Him at all. That twists the gospel. You can see why Paul says it's a serious issue. The point is this. Listen, if we don't love like God's family, why would anybody want to join God's family? God calls us to be a family. Sammy was mentioning today how, how this week he watched our Servants Church video, our little kind of intro video. You should check it out again if you haven't seen it in a while or if you've never seen it before. And it starts off by Marcel and cute little, his cute little daughter. I can't say her name because child protection, but cute little daughter. And, and he says Servants Church is a diverse family. And he, Sammy was saying how he watching the video and I was thinking the same thing. Oh man, I miss being with God's people all the time. I miss my family. This is how we feel. Guys, God calls us to be a family. Yes, that means taking care of widows, but it, uh, the widows in our midst, but it also means, listen, it also means being committed to one another. I'm going to ask Abby to come back up and she's going to just play a bit of background music. And I want to take just a few minutes 
and for us to pray this in. Let's, let's take some time right now to just give thanks to God for, for bringing us into his family. So, so just in, if, you, if you're in your home right now, if, whether you're on your own or with, with other family members, take some time right now just to pray, to give thanks. Th- thank God that you're in this family. Thank God for, for what he's done to bring in your family. Repeat the gospel out loud back to God. Thank him for the details. It will do your heart good. It will knit your heart back to him. And take some time to ask God to increase your love for his people. Let the Holy Spirit uh, put his finger on, on, on what that might look like. Maybe for some of you, it's just knowing who else is in, in the church besides the, the, the small group that you're connected with. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's, it's learning actually to, to be more focused on your individual family because you've been too busy with ministry. Whatever it is, just ask God to show you, repent of that, trust God to give you that increase for love. Let's just take a couple minutes to pray that out. Go ahead, Abby, come forward. Let's just take some time to pray together for that. And Father, we thank you so much that you so loved us that you gave Jesus so that we can know who you are, so that we could come into right relationship with you. And I pray, Lord, for those who are watching that don't yet know you, maybe they're attracted to your people, maybe they're uh, asking the big questions of life, oh Lord, would you do that supernatural work in their hearts right now so they would know they would know that Jesus is the answer. Father, help them to see that Jesus is the one they need to follow, that Jesus is the one they need to trust. Help them to put their faith in you. And I pray, Father, that you would help us as your people to live as a family, God. We're not very good at this. We have a long ways to go, but Lord, we've tasted it. There's been times when we've tasted the goodness of being in your family, and it's the best 
Oh, Lord, may we, by your grace, by the power of your Holy Spirit, pursue that love. Lord, give us wisdom about our families. Show us how we are to provide. Lord, you are ultimately Jehovah Jireh. You're the provider, so show us how we can trust you to provide. Help us to be not idle, but willing to work with our hands. I pray, Father, as well, Lord, that you would help us to have those right relationships. Forgive us, Lord, when we are so so consumed with our own needs or weaknesses that we don't consider others as better than ourselves. Forgive us, Lord, that we can often try to be functional saviors. We want to be the hero. We're not. You're the hero, Lord Jesus. You're the hero. Oh, Lord, help us to limp along with our brothers and sisters and go right into your presence. Oh, Lord, we want to honor our families. Lord, we know a lot of us who are here this morning watching this, listening to this, come from broken families. Marriages that have fallen apart, children that have gone wayward. Things, relationships that have ended because of sickness and disease. Suffering that's come from poverty or abuse. Lord, all these things distort and destroy families, but you are in the redemption business. Would you redeem us, Lord? Would you show us that first and foremost we're in your family so that you become our focus and that you do that work of change in our families, Lord? Thank you, Lord, that we're in the household of faith. And we just commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless.